We're going to go into today's word. And if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to John 20. We're going to be reading the story of the resurrection um, in the first 11 verses together. Um, And so please turn to John 20. We're going to read John 20, verses 1 to 11 together. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, precious, powerful, alive for us. Here it is, John 20. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, they saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For yet, as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead." Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary, please give special attention here, the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we've been preparing a lot for this day. Honestly, if you ask the leaders, uh, for about a month, we've been getting ready for this. And one of the things I struggle with with Easter is, you know, Easter is so big. It's the biggest celebration in the church. And one of the things I struggle with is how to make our service and celebrations convey the bigness of this holiday. And the bigness of the message of the resurrection. I really struggle with that. Because the the message of Easter is that in Jesus' resurrection, all of the things in our lives are brought to renewal in his resurrection. That because his resurrection is secured, our resurrection is secured. And that means that that resurrection touches all the things in our lives. And that's why Easter is bigger than the day that you got married, the day you had a baby, or even the day that you beat an addiction, or maybe the day that you overcame cancer. Easter casts a shadow over all of these celebrations because Easter touches all of these things. And sometimes I struggle with how to make Easter convey that to our congregation But as we get into today's um, message, what I want to do is not think so much about how Easter is so big, but I want to focus in on how the resurrection can be so small, meaning how it can be so intimate, intimate to address the things that are in our lives. The resurrection is big, it's the biggest thing there is, but it's also small and intimate enough because it's about your things as well. We look at this passage, and I want to focus in on the perspective of Mary Magdalene, just Mary. And when we look into the perspective of Mary Magdalene and her experience of the resurrection, we see one particular way that the resurrection touches your life personally in a small and intimate way. The resurrection speaks to our griefs, griefs, the losses that we experience in this world. 
You know, this week I saw a New York Times article that I thought was so honest about Easter. And it's actually very rare in uh, the newspaper you find insightful comments about the faith. But there was a, a writer named Esau McCauley, and he wrote this about grief and despair and how Easter breaks in to challenge our grief and despair. This is what he wrote. I want to read this to you. He wrote, we know what to do with grief and despair. We have a place for it. We have rituals that surround it. I know how to look around at the anti-black racism, the anti-Asian racism, the struggles of families at the border and feel despair. I know what it's like to watch the body count rise after a mass shooting, like we just had in Brooklyn, only to have the country collectively shrug. Hope is much harder to come by. The women did not go to the tomb looking for hope. They were searching for a place to grieve. They wanted to be left alone in despair. And the terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift, hope in the power of God. You see what he's saying? That we know what to do with grief, but Easter challenges us to go into our griefs with a new kind of hope. And I want to talk about that today by looking at the resurrection through the lens of Mary Magdalene's experience, because here is a woman who is grieving, and yet the Lord is calling her to have hope. The resurrection is so big, but today I want to see how it's so small and how it touches the stuff in your life. Let's pray together before we begin. We just pray that you would help us so that we understand what the resurrection is. Easter is so misunderstood, but I pray that today you would help us not only to understand it, but push it deep down into our hearts. The things that we're dealing with, the things that everyone came into their chair today carrying, we pray that resurrection would touch that thing today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we begin, um, we should remember that the disciples, they went all in on Jesus. They went all in on Jesus. There was no, nothing held back. And the disciples, when they decided to follow Jesus, they went all in to being his follower. In fact, Peter says, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. We left everything to follow you. And they went all in on this Jesus and so imagine that day that the Romans took their Jesus and put him on a cross, and they saw him there, dead and lifeless, on a cross. The hope that they had in Jesus Christ died that day. All of a sudden, the hope that they put in the Savior was lifeless on a cross. In fact, on the road to Emmaus, these two disciples are talking to the resurrected Jesus, and they say, we had hoped. They say, we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was going to be the Savior, but he's dead on a cross. We hoped. We hoped. And our deepest griefs come from our deepest hopes. The things that you grieve the most, it's because you hope the most in those things. The higher the hope, the deeper the grief. And that's why you could try to inoculate yourself from grief and you try to immunize yourself from pain. But unless you stop hoping altogether, you'll never escape grief in this life. It comes with hope. And maybe nobody knew that better than Mary Magdalene. Mary, maybe no one knew that better than Mary because I think that when I look at the New Testament, I don't see anyone grieving Jesus like Mary does. I don't see anybody grieving Jesus as passionately as Mary Magdalene. 
John 20, verse 1 says this. On the first day, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. There's something you have to know about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a woman who was hopeless. She apparently had no husband. And not only did she not have a husband, but she was possessed by demons, multiple demons. And what that means is that she had no control of her life. That she was in that scary place where other forces were controlling her life and she had no autonomy and no ability to chart the course of her life. That's what it meant that she was demon-possessed. She was actually under the control of demons. And she lived in that scary feeling of being at the mercy of someone else. That was Mary Magdalene. If anybody was hopeless, it was Mary. That is until she met Jesus. Until she met Jesus. When she met Jesus, Jesus Christ delivered her from those demons. Jesus Christ came in and he, she gave, he gave her back to herself. Gave her the freedom and autonomy and will and power back. And because she had nothing and she found Jesus the deliverer, Jesus was for her everything. And probably there's no hope more precious than the hope that someone has when they don't have anything else. And that was Mary Magdalene. Jesus was her hope, and Jesus was all she had. Her Savior, her Redeemer, her de Deliverer, the one who gave herself back to her. Now then, imagine the trauma. Now imagine the trauma that she experiences when she sees Jesus lifeless on the cross, the one who gave her life. Imagine the trauma of seeing in bondage the Savior who released her from bondage. Imagine what she felt when she saw him under the oppression of the cross, the one who released her from oppression. There's a trauma that she experiences the shock of seeing her rescuer dead and life, lifeless on the cross. I just want us to try to understand what that day was like for her, that Good Friday when Jesus died. You know, imagine what you would have been thinking if you were Mary Magdalene. Are the demons are going to come back now? What if they come back? And what if my life is lost again? What if my life spirals out of control now? What, I'm supposed to live the rest of my life without a savior? Who's going to help me? John says that she was the first one to the tomb. And Mary Magdalene, thank you, Gina. Allergies. <laughs> Starting to get close. Um, John tells us that Mary Magdalene was the first one there at the tomb. While it was still early. While it was still early. It was still dark. She was the one who went to the tomb first. Now, John says that she went when it was still dark, but my guess is that she didn't wake up super early to go to the tomb. My guess is that she didn't sleep that night. My guess is that she had been waiting until she looked outside and it was reasonable to call it morning because she was not sleeping that night. And as soon as it was reasonable to call morning, even though it was still dark, she said, I waited long enough. And she goes to Jesus' tomb to grieve. Now, remember that Jesus' tomb was super sealed. Not only was it closed with a big stone, but it was also sealed by the Romans and then two guards. It was overkill. 
And the Romans went overkill because they were afraid that his disciples were going to come take his body and say that he was resurrected. And so there was this protected tomb, a grave she couldn't access, a tomb that she couldn't go into. Why is she even going? Why is she going to a tomb that she can't go to? Why is she going to a grave that she can't really visit? I don't know. And if you asked Mary, I don't even know if she would have an answer for you. Except maybe I'm going there because my Lord is there. I'm just going there because my Lord is there. Except he wasn't. Except when she got there, he wasn't there. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and the body was not there when she got there. And now imagine the second trauma that she experiences. How she had been weeping on the way to the tomb, but imagine the intensity of the weeping as she sees that someone had taken her Savior's body. It's almost as if that knife that stabbed her when Jesus died, now someone is twisting it in her soul. Because when you lose someone you love and you're not able to have their body, there is a more intense mourning, a more deep grief that comes over you when you're not able to have the body of the one you love. You can't even go visit them in the grave. That's why the military makes so much pains that when a soldier is fallen in the field that they make pains to bring back the body. Because we know that if you can't not even have the body, then the mourning is far worse. Because it's almost like you will never ever really see them again. You won't even have the chance to see them again. There's a finality to it. You know, Edgar Allan Poe is a poet that most of you have heard of, um, but maybe something that you might not know about Poe is that Edgar Allan Poe lived a life of extreme loss. You know, he lost both his parents when he was three years old, and he was taken in by someone else, and he continued to live this life of loss because actually he was a very smart kid, and he was able to get these academic opportunities that a lot of other kids didn't get. But what happened was the financial hardship that he experienced didn't allow him to take advantage of these opportunities to make a new life. And he, had, he was torn away from these opportunities and he continued that life of loss. And then after that, he got married to his wife, Virginia, a woman whom he loved. And that woman died and he lost his wife to tuber tuberculosis. Um, he lived a life of loss deep loss, but he would find his talent in writing, and he wrote a poem that most of you have heard of called The Raven. And in that story, there's a character who has lost his wife, Lenore, and you could draw a straight line, right, from Poe to the sky. He lost his wife, Lenore, and he is mourning the loss of his wife, Lenore, and he is in that grief, and all of a sudden, he gets a knocking at his door. A tapping at his door, and to his surprise, it's a bird. It's a raven. And it's a raven that continues to visit him and keeps saying just one haunting word to the character. And the one haunting word is, nevermore. Nevermore. The raven says, nevermore. 
And that might not really affect anybody else, but for a character who's lived a life of loss, who has just lost his beloved wife, Lenore, every time the raven says, nevermore, it pushes down into the soul of the character, the finality of death, the finality of loss. Nevermore, never again will you see Lenore. Never, never more. You see, brothers and sisters, Mary, when she goes to the tomb and his body is not there, that's what she's experiencing. She's not just experiencing grief. She's experienced the finality of Jesus' death. He's gone forever, never more. And in fact, without Easter Sunday, that's all the world has to offer to us, if you think about it. Without a resurrection, everything is nevermore. Every loss is nevermore. And that's what Mary is experiencing here to such a degree, nevermore, that if you look at this passage, let's read verse 11 to 13. If you look at this passage in 11 to 13, there's this miraculous thing that happens to her. These angels come. Verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they had laid him. Nevermore. Here's this miraculous thing that happens is these two angels miraculously appear before Mary and it's almost like she doesn't even care. Isn't that weird? Every time you have a miraculous sighting in scripture, you have a cataclysmic event. Heaven meets earth. But for Mary, who cares? Who cares? That's how much she's overwhelmed by her grief. That's how much she's overcome and crushed in this moment. And the crazy thing is, the angels just shut up. The angels come all the way down to ask her a question, why are you weeping? And then after she answers, they just leave her alone. Which makes sense. Because what could they have said to her to help her? What consolation could they have given for a Savior whom she lost? You see, brothers and sisters, in this world, not only do we have the finality of loss, without God, we have the finality of loss. We have never more, but all we got is consolation for each other. Words of consolation when we experience loss. It'll be okay. How do you know that? Words of consolation when we experience our deepest, worst stuff, They don't help. Even though our loving family and friends want to be there for us, in this world, all you have to give to each other without God is words of consolation. And that's the sad thing. That's the sad world without Easter. But what you see in this passage is that after the angels visit and they leave, Mary experiences the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see this. Let's read verse 14 to 16 together. (laughs) Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, 
Just tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She gets Jesus back. You see, this is the power and beauty of the Easter message, that the world only has for us in moments of nevermore, consolation. But you see, the Christian message is this. The Christian gospel is this. The resurrection is this, that what actually is available to you in Jesus Christ is not consolation, but restoration. The real return of the things that you have lost. That's different, isn't it? The church doesn't just have words of consolation, but we have the truth of restoration. Actual renewal of the things that are lost in Christ. And I think the amazing thing is about this encounter is that, you know, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now that means so many things. I could keep you here for a week and talk to you about it, but I won't. But Jesus could have raised, gone to the heavens, and his first words, his first recognizable words to the world could have been, the resurrected Lord has come to vanquish sin and death, and now I will establish my everlasting kingdom in this world. That's not his first words. His first recognizable words after the resurrection is a name, Mary. This is Mary. Think about how small and intimate and personal that is. It's not a trumpet sound, but it's a whisper. This is the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes the magnificent power of the resurrection and he brings it to you in a way that deals with your personal griefs. The resurrection is for you for your stuff, for your tears, for the things that you have lost. The resurrected King of Glory comes to Mary and says her name, Mary. That's the first recognizable word from the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this Easter that that's what you need. That's what you've been looking for, actually. You're sitting here saying, I could tell Easter is a big deal. I could tell that the resurrection is very, very important to the church. But question, what does it have to do with me? Like, honestly, what does it have to do with me? Resurrection, I can tell it's very important to the church, but how will it touch me? And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that the good news of your Savior Jesus Christ, that if you are in Him, He takes the magnificent power of the resurrection and He applies it to your things, your losses, your tears. That's who He is. Just like He entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, small. His resurrection is amazing because His resurrection is also quiet and small. He could have risen and told the church leaders first that he is reestablishing the everlasting church, but instead he comes to address a personal grief. He could have come back and went into the heavens and said, I'm going to fix the world and establish a government, but he wants to first come to wipe Mary's tears. He could have come back and set up that government, power, majesty, but instead of establishing an everlasting government, He comes to give a hug 
to a crying woman. What does the resurrection have to do with you? Everything. Everything. Because when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what that meant was that all the things that we felt were never more. The finality of loss for the things that you experienced, for the Christians, for those who have Christ, we will never again say nevermore. The finality of the resurrection trumps the finality of death. The finality of the resurrection trumps the finality of death. So Christians never say nevermore. We say forevermore. Forevermore. Because he forevermore is resurrected. He forevermore is risen. And so the things that I've lost, never again will I say nevermore. We say forevermore. He is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is risen. He is alive. That's Easter, guys. That's the power of Easter. It's not this abstract morning to dancing. It's you dancing because of your stuff. It's you dancing over your graves. That's why in verse 17, and I'll close with this, Jesus says to her, Don't cling to me or do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. It doesn't mean don't hug me. He came back to hug her. But he's saying, Mary, this is just the beginning. You're holding on to me because you're afraid to lose me again. But you're never going to lose me. Forever I am established as your Savior. You will never lose me again. Mary, I have to go because you got your Jesus back, but I've resurrected to speak to every person's personal tears. I must ascend to the Father because it's not just your grief, Mary, not only your hope that needs to be repaired, but everyone who believes in me I have to go and repair their hope by the resurrection. Tell your brothers that I'm going up to my God and their God, to my Father and their Father. Everyone who is in Christ, your hope is repaired. And never again do you say nevermore. My brothers and sisters, if you are here and you don't know this Jesus Christ, this is the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus. This is why we sing and we make a ton of noise today and we celebrate and we do all of these things because if you are in Christ, nothing is nevermore. And we celebrate everything transitioning to forevermore, everlasting resurrection. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I invite you to come into a relationship with him today because it is in Christ that you have this resurrection. By knowing a risen king, you will be risen. By having a relationship with the resurrected one, you will also be resurrected. And that resurrection is not so big that you can't touch it. It's real small. Small enough to touch your life so you could dance this Easter too. I invite you into that. Let's pray.